interesting topic, something that everybody's hearing about right now, staffing and people heading to work. So I have Melissa Brown, who has her very own podcast. She hosts Understaffed, and she's the COO of Concierge Elite. Melissa, thank you so much for being here. What an interesting topic to talk about. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. I'm glad we got to finally meet. Yeah, no doubt. So how did you become interested in organizational management, staffing? Like it seems to be a bit of a passion of yours. People don't start podcasts about stuff they don't care about, right? So how did that interest come up for you? Why is it such a a passion point? Well, you know, I started in the restaurant industry many, many moons ago. And through that, I really found a love for training people. Um, and training staff, training them right, and, and really kind of nurturing people. And when I did that, I worked with a pretty uh, world-renowned restaurant that's a, that's a franchise, and they didn't have a training program. And so I really found myself immersed in providing that. You know, um, people go into the restaurant industry, and they're just basically left to their own. And I said, no, this is not the way it should be. So training and development kind of became a passion of mine. I think it's about 25 years ago now. And at that time, I had just kind of finished raising my children. And I was like, well, I've gotten that over with. Maybe it's time to go back to school. So I decided in my early 30s to go ahead and go for my master's degree with a minor in human resources. And that organizational management really kind of fit with me because I love to put process into place in businesses. I love starting businesses and and getting them set from the ground up, uh, really getting that strong foundation. So in that training and uh, development really came um, developing people, finding process, helping businesses that were struggling, helping franchisees that were struggling in the restaurant industry, and giving them a strong foundation to grow from. And through that, um, I I worked those restaurant years and then decided that that gig was done for me. Uh, (laughs) It was was a hard grind that I worked 10 years plus in, and I was like, okay, time to do something else. And so I really put my entrepreneur spirit and that hat on and went to a company that I was uh, did training and development in the medical field um, and trained front desk staff. Um, and that I did in a remote setting. And, you know, remote is not new as of COVID. It was many, many moons ago prior to that. But um, I think COVID really brought out the best in what remote work could provide for people. And so through that, uh, working with front desk staff and training them, it was like, hey, great, you can train my staff, but I don't, if I don't have any, then um, w- you don't have a job. And then I am suffering over here. So how can you help solve that problem? And that's what I just did. I, I went to work on creating a business um, that really could help provide remote staffing and remote front desk to the healthcare and veterinary industries. And uh, COVID then, of course, brought about really in solidifying that remote work could be a possibility and should be a possibility in most businesses. And so of that came Concierge Elite. I love it. I think it's so cool. I mean, so from a pandemic perspective, here we are three years later, all we hear about is nobody wants to go to work. Nobody wants to work, blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, yet, yet it's obviously not true. Sorry, anybody who wants to get mad at me for saying that, but what are your thoughts on that? What changes did you see pandemic wise? And I mean, obviously you have a whole business based in filling in the gaps for people who have so many jobs that they, you know, need that, uh, they need that fill in. 
Yeah. What's the story? What are your thoughts? Well, I think that COVID really, again, solidified the fact that remote work can happen and does work. I think that prior to that, people didn't know if it was going to work for them. They felt like they had to have a, a butt in the seat and especially at the front desk. Yeah. And what it showed was that's not true. You can accomplish a lot, 99% of the job remotely. And so having that happen really kind of pushed forward, I think, the inevitable. When we talk about the generations that are in the workforce right now and the ones that are entering the workforce, one of their main drivers of what they're looking for in an employer is that they're flexible, that they can provide flexibility. Generations before we're looking for pay, benefits, healthcare, all of that. That is number one and two. Now in this workforce, number one, two, and three is going to be flexibility. After that comes pay and benefits and healthcare and all of those things. And so one of the main things that they're looking for is this flexibility. Well, in that comes remote. It comes, you know, with, with different kinds of schedules, all of that. So what we're finding is that generation already was wanting that. What it did was prove that it could happen. And so now you have a workforce that's saying, hey, I've always wanted flexibility. I want some work-life balance. We know it can happen. And so then that's what I'm looking for in my employer. Uh, there was a statistic out that said that this year, uh, right at the end of the year on Indeed, it went from 18% of people paid advertisements out there, paid you know things that 18% of people were advertising for remote. In December, it dropped to 15%. There's a difference there. And really what happened was, is I think that our employees or our employers are starting to say, hey, okay, I think it's time to go back to the workforce. You know, I think it's time that everybody comes back to the office. They're getting scared of not having the control over the employees that they think they should have or being able to micromanage or whatever it might be. But I think it's really dangerous. I think it's really dangerous because again, this generation is looking for flexibility. It's their number one, number one and number two thing that they're looking for in an employer. So COVID brought about the possibility, showed that it was possible, and this generation now demands it. So when we're saying that we can't find good people, maybe it's that we haven't changed, A, how we're looking, B, how we're employing, and we're going back to our old ways. And really, the good people are there. You're just not providing them a package that they can relate to. So what are the types of jobs that you feel can be remote versus can't be remote? I mean, obviously, you can't be a server in a restaurant remotely just right. as an example, right? But what are the other types of things that you would say, hard no, can't be remote? And then, I mean, pretty much everything else, I I would s- suspect that you you would argue that any real office job could be done remotely. I mean, yeah. I, I'm on that side too. Yeah, you're pretty much talking any kind of administrative role. So any front desk, I, I primarily focus in front end jobs and that's mm-hmm. what we do. So front end, so any kind of receptionist, anyone who answers the phone, anyone who primarily does, let's just say administrative work. So 95% of their job is administrative. So if you're saying to me, well, that's great, but my receptionist greets people. Well, now you rethink that job. So you say, hey, 95% of that job is going to go to somebody who's remote, who can lower my overhead, who I can really pick the cream of the crop because I'm not limited by boundaries. Because when you're hiring an office, you're limited, what, five, 10, 15 mile radius within your location. Totally. Now you're no longer limited by boundaries. You can find the best of the best. You can go out, find a culture fit for you. And then you give that 5%. Okay, now you're my client specialist. 
So now you're going to bring that person in. You're going to welcome them. You're going to focus in on what they what they need, our services. You can upsell. You can cross-sell. You Whatever your job is, right? Now you can really capitalize it, and you can cross-train. So now that person is no longer just the receptionist answering phones continually and booking appointments continually, but now they're really focusing in on the customer providing exceptional customer service. So when you do this and look at the jobs, I'm going to say anything that's administrative, anything that requires the computer, the phones, anything like that, definitely 100% can become remote. Anything that you have to hands-on touch somebody or be face-to-face and that sort of thing. I talk about medical a lot. Of course, those techs have to be in office, but they're finding bright new ways, right? Telemed, all of that sort of things are coming out. So there's huge possibilities in almost any role. You know, I have in my head as you're talking the front office of my pediatrician's office, uh, and they have like six people behind the desk, mm-hmm. and yet there's never anyone available to like talk to you when you walk up. Right, you have to like <laughs> write on the little witchma thingy your your name, and then you go sit down, and then eventually they'll call you up to take your copay or whatever. But they're so busy doing other things on the computer, on the phone, whatever the case may be. There's like zero percent. Hey, how are you today? Right. right? It's just interesting to listen to you talk about that, you know, all of the, they could have one person back there, five people at home, that one person does nothing but say like, hi, and swipe your credit card. Yeah. It would be such a better experience. It would be a way better experience. I mean, again, it's thinking outside the box, right? So, and typically your remote employees are massively efficient. I mean, there have been reports after reports showing how efficient these remote workers can be because they're in an environment that's super comfortable to them. They're not having the strain of the commute and all of these other things. Um, and and guys, if you're scared about it, there's tools out there that are going to help to manage their productivity, but they're 85 to 95% more productive than someone who's in the office, who's taking coffee breaks every five minutes or, you know, doing all the things that they do and chit-chatting. And and so the productivity should not be a concern. But yes, the customer experience that we can give if we just focus down is so much greater um, with anybody who answers the phones. I mean, that is a simple, simple task that we could outsource. Yeah. So interesting. So on the, on the topic of phones, One of the things that we experienced as a software company who sells stuff to people during the pandemic was that calling people like through an office phone system kind of went away, right? It it doesn't feel like with people moving to a virtual work environment that companies really had the phone infrastructure to send the phone calls home. Right. How does that impact all of this? Well, you know, there's great systems out there, VoIP systems, essentially. And what that is, is are are people using them? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, if you have not moved to that kind of system, you're antiquated. If you're still using. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, remote work requires that you update your systems. Um, It requires that you have some sort of uh, new technology. Um, we do work with small town, uh, you know, offices and things of that nature. And, and we do have to somewhat update systems. But if you don't have that, if you still have the sort of landline system, don't worry, your phone company has updated their systems somewhat. Um, so it's still a possibility. It's just a simple forwarding system. And uh, I think what happened was some of these companies went home and they, they didn't have the physical phone. 
you know, at the location or, or they didn't have a virtual phone or, you know, they had to rethink. And I think businesses have to stay up with the times and their technology. I think it's, it's a must. And I think it was a good push to do so for those who hadn't um, done it before, but we work simply with the phone companies that um, businesses already have in place. And yeah. we just put a couple couple configurations in and all of a sudden that call's going to their virtual assistant, their virtual personal assistant or their their virtual front desk or whatever it is. And and the customer knows no different. Yeah. Talk to me about this whole virtual assistant thing, right? I, I mean, I get advertised a lot, these virtual assistants, like outsource yeah. little tasks or, you know, whatever the case may be. They're kind of fractional assistants, if you will. You hear about like fractional CFOs or CMOs or whatever. You can have a fractional assistant too. How does that work? What kind of things do people do for, um, you know, their clients? This is this is really really awesome because you know something we focus on is is dedicated, meaning this person works for you and you only. So we're not. What I do is not a call center environment. It's really focused on the person that comes a lot from my my training background. That comes a lot from my dedication to people and human resources. I don't want to run a call center. What I want to do is provide you with the best possible employee that I can, and that could be a, a virtual personal assistant. And really that is someone to do all of those mundane tasks that you spend all your time on when you really should be spending all your time on the business and things that really make a difference. And that's for any business owner, medical, regular business. I have one myself because we can find ourselves day after day and getting stuck in our email box day after day, trying to post on social media day after day. We're, we're, we're doing these things that make no business to no, make no bottom line, right? Help, right. do not help the bottom line. And so if you're doing that, if you find yourself doing that, spend more time working in the business than on the business, it's time to hire a personal assistant and you can do it for a really, you know, a really great cost. Official you don't prices, have to, yeah. yeah, you don't have to compromise quality. Listen, I see some of these things on social media and I wouldn't hire some of those because you're compromising quality. Don't do that. Find somebody that's really going to work for you that you can trust with your personal information. The more you can trust them, the more that they can do, they can pay your bills. I mean, come on, who loves doing that, right? But if you're not on auto pay or whatever, they're going to pay your electric bill for you. They're going to make sure your trash is picked up. Uh, They're going to make sure that your dry cleaning is ready and let you know (laughs) when it is. They're going to schedule your doctor's appointments, your vet's appointments. They can do all that personal stuff that you're spending a lot of time doing or that you really don't want to do. So you can focus on the bottom line. And so really anything that you can think of, your personal assistant can do. Um, They're becoming more and more too. I mean, the more we talk about technology and AI, you're talking that personal assistant really is going to be able to do a lot for you in half the time. So on this topic of like personal stuff, right? I think that this is a concern. I mean, everybody was doing their personal stuff from the office anyway. But I think when you look at, kind of big office management, what they're worried about with moving people to a remote or a work from home environment is that people are going to be distracted by the personal stuff and kind of spending more time than they would have otherwise been doing from the office doing personal stuff. How do you reassure those uh, you know, management folk that that's not really the case, that the amount of time is not either any different or it's better uh, yeah. in a work from home environment? Put safeguards into place. That's always what I say when we're talking about putting a remote um, position in place is that there are systems and softwares out there that help manage 
what that employee is doing. And they take screenshots of the screen and then they monitor that and send up red flags or alerts or things like that when work is not happening. I recently read an article where someone was complaining about this and they're like, oh my gosh, how dare my employer take a screenshot of my screen? You know, every, it's odd times, you know, every four or 12 minutes. And I'm like, well, if you were doing your job, why would it matter? You'd be upset about it, yeah. Now they're not taking, it's it's not the camera. They're not taking pictures of you. Um, they're just taking pictures of your screen because they want to be a good steward of their time, you know, their money and resources and dollars too. So yes, there there's going to be some flexibility there, even with our workers. Okay, fine. The screen didn't move that 30 seconds, right? Okay. That's not what we're looking for, but we're looking for patterns of inactivity. We're looking for patterns of time where there's stuff on the screen that doesn't belong on the screen, shopping Amazon or personal chats. You're looking for that kind of stuff. And that's the stuff that's the red flags. So there are great technologies out there and timekeeping technologies that uh, enable you to kind of track. Are they doing that for office workers also? Because I mean, those same exact things happen. That's not a work from home thing, right? Not a work from home thing. And I don't think people are putting it in practice, um, whether they don't know it's there or they don't know that they should have it. Um, because I think they think that they can just walk up and see. And I think this is a common misconception. When I began the training with the front desks, one of the things I did was monitor calls, listen to the calls, listen to what was being said, and seeing if ultimately that person was booking appointments, because that brings in the money. Right. And what I would ask is, hey, do you know what your front desk is saying? And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, I know what they're saying, right? And what the fact of the matter was is, no, they had no idea, no idea. that their front desk was never booking appointments, that they were giving advice, that they were giving competitors, they were sending them here and there. Money was not coming in the door. And all of a sudden, we think they're thinking, well, of course, they're doing their job and booking appointments or doing this or that. They're sitting there. I can see them. They're, they're on the phone. Yeah, right. They're on the phone. Right. And so they had no idea even sitting in the office next to them that they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing, which is ultimately to get business in the door. And so, uh, again, call call recording, big one that people weren't using and I think now has become more and more popular. So this timekeeping as well, if businesses aren't using it, they should. They should be going and looking. Again, all you have to look at is remote timekeeping systems out there, and there are lots of them. You find one that works for you, does what it needs to do for you, and man, it's going to do all the reporting. It's going to send you notifications if there's you know things that aren't supposed to be on the screen and things of that nature. So really protect your money as well. But you're going to find your good employees are good in-house and out-of-house either way, or and your bad employees equal. They're good. they're going to be just as you're not going to send your bad employee home because they're not going to probably do any better at home. Uh, you, you want to do this and reward your good employees and people you really want to retain. What are your thoughts on work from home, remote employees versus more outsourced going global? I think it's both. I think if, if you are having a hard time finding people in your location, that's that's not going to change overnight. You're not going to get this influx of now new people. Uh, so the first thing I say is, if you're having that struggle, if you just literally cannot find pe good people are not walking in the door, um, of course, take an internal look, see, are you offering what this generation is looking for? Make sure that your benefit package, whatever that looks like, that flexibility, all of that is there. If that's still not happening, you probably need to look outside of your, your vicinity. And to do that, you probably will need to offer remote if and when you can capitalize on the staff you do have 
So again, if I take it in a clinical sense, is take those people you have, cross-train them and put them into other positions, invest in them because you have to have them with the patient. You have to have them face-to-face take those other positions and outsource those and find a way that you can find great people to take care of people over the phone, do the intake, do the insurance verifications, do all of that, and do that while lowering your overhead because you're capitalizing on people you have and kind of reducing the wage um, when you're hiring remote. And people take a reduced rate because they're not having to commute. Um, Plus, you know, if you're in California and hiring and the average wage is $25 for a front desk, you can hire in Texas where it potentially is $12. So you're really losing the borders because the cost of living and things of that nature. So of course you can do that and then you can do global as well. Yeah. So it's interesting. I had a guy on many, many moons ago who owned a restaurant and he outsourced a lot of the things, um, you know, marketing and social media and all this stuff. And basically what he said was, I'm good at running a restaurant and basically anything else that I have to do that is not my core competency, I outsource. Like, why do I want to learn to do something that is not what I'm good at? Right. I can pay somebody else to do it. And it's a much more efficient model for the use of my money. And, you know, I I hear kind of the same, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the same undercurrent. Right. uh, From you too, which is pretty cool. I like when guests back each other up that way. (laughs) Yeah, but it's very very much true. It's very much true. It's do what you're good at. Uh, I tell tell our doctors, do what you're good at, which is taking care of your patients and allow other people to do what they're good at. And that's going to be, you know, on the front side, it's going to be that administrative work and things that you really can do. They can do quicker and more efficiently. One of the things you've mentioned a couple of times about this generation that's either entering or has been in the workforce for a minute what they're looking for. So number one, flexibility. When we were entering the workforce a million years ago, the benefits that were important were like, oh, they give us lunch. There's free sodas in the break room, right? Like stuff like that, right? But I, I feel like things are different right now. What are people looking for outside of flexibility? What, what are the people uh, looking for in their jobs that employers are maybe not offering or not thinking to offer? Culture, culture fit. I think it's a big one. I think this generation wants to feel like they're a part of something. And when they do, that the amount that they give um, is going to be so much greater. So they want not only for them to feel included and to be you know, inclusive of what's going on, they want to feel part of that vision, but they also want something bigger and better than them and greater. So what is your then social contribution in your business and what are you doing for those around you? So so the culture within and then the culture without the social contribution. Um, and I think that this generation's very big on those. I mean, you see that with the social media and all of that sort of stuff. But so, you know, how do you find a culture fit? Uh, I was talking about this on another HR uh, podcast recently. And I said, you be quiet. During your interview, you be quiet. You know, you want to find the right culture. Allow the interviewee to talk. You're going to find out everything you need to know about them if you just allow them to talk. Say, tell me about yourself. Tell me what makes you happy. What 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 gets you excited in life? All of those things, right? And then just sit back and listen. People will tell you way more than you ever thought that they would tell you by just having an open-ended question. And matter of fact, most of the things that they're going to tell you, you can't ask anyway. They're going to probably tell you about their family and their situation and who they live with and where they live. They probably, you know, all of those things. So you're going to learn so much more if you just sit back and listen. 
that's going to help tell you if that person's a culture fit. You're going to know. You're going to know how do you feel in that conversation. Um, and then share your, you know, and then rebuttal with that. You can say, yes, I agree with you. That's how we feel. And this is what we do. This is how we support our community. And this is how we're supporting the people and the businesses around us and et cetera. This is our social contribution. And I don't think people think about those two things that when an interviewee is coming in, they're interviewing you too. They want to know if they want to work for you. Do you have the flexibility? Do you have the culture? So are they going to feel good when they work? Again, in our generation, it was not about feelings, but how does it feel? What are feelings? I don't understand the question. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I've had to learn, right? So how, how does it feel to work here? Am I going to like it? Are people going to like me? And then do we do anything that's bigger than us? So how do you, as a as a hiring company, if your culture is more old school than maybe what people are looking for now, how do you start to shift that internally so that um, you can kind of keep up with the newer generations? Go back to the very business basics. Remember when we all wrote our our vision, uh, our core values? Take a look at those again. I mean, if it's been a while since you started a business, I bet it's time that you look at those and reevaluate those. I mean, that's a very basic thing I know, and it sounds dumb that I'm even saying it, but every oh. single every single year, my business core values are in front of my face. Matter of fact, every week, we we as a team, as our leadership team, we talk about our core values. Are we living by our core values? And if something just doesn't fit, we're going to reevaluate that. Does that that portion of our core values of, of our vision, is that fit for this year? And if not, then how do we change and evolve that to more of where we're headed? Because businesses should be changing and evolving. And so every year you should be looking at those and taking and, and taking a good hard look to say, is that where you want to go? Is that where the direction of the company is going? And if it's a yes, then that's what you should be talking about. And you should be reminding yourself and your people who work there. And that's really stuff that helps drive that culture, that internal culture. How many companies do you think actually do that? Oh, not many. Yeah, right. That was what I was thinking too, is, oh my God, I bet most executives at companies can't even tell you what those words are. No, no. And it's a sad thing. You know, I, I work with a lot of businesses, right, who are hiring new people and they come in and within the first 30 days, I can tell if they have a culture problem, you know, because, because blame starts shifting and things start moving. And so this new employee comes in and this poor new employee who's brand new trying to learn, right? Yeah. Everything that's wrong gets blamed on them. And oh, an and, and, and in-house you know, person is blaming now remote employee, new employee. You did that wrong. Uh, no, I did it exactly the way. That, nope, you did it wrong. Or uh, a bad call comes in and a customer complaint. Well, they must have done it. And so what happens is, is you can tell immediately that there is a bad culture within that place. And so for me as a COO, I'm like, how can I help fix your culture? Because no matter who you bring in, whether it's remote or somebody personally, you're still going to have this problem. It's going to be a dog eat dog world and your old employees are going to attack the new employees. And it's just going to, yeah, you're going to chase everybody off. And so to me, again, if you're saying I can't find good people, everybody who comes in quits, you, you might have a culture problem. <laughs> You right. might go back to and look at your core values and make sure that you're preaching those and teaching those daily 
weekly, whatever it needs to be for a while and find, gosh, there's so many great resources out there really to help fix the culture and really show and, and move towards a positive culture in your business. And if sometimes that's clean slate, then sometimes that's clean slate. What's more important, money, culture to the employee? Culture. So interesting, right? If you go to work and you hate it every day, you ain't staying no matter how good the money is. I mean, there's only so long you're going to tolerate it before, you know, I, my, some of my children of this new generation and they go to work and you know what they say? They were so mean to me today. I, I don't want to be there. And I'm like, God, but this is a great job. You've got a great future in this job. I know, but they're so mean. People are talking about me and I see people laughing and I see whatever, whatever. And I'm like, okay, the culture's bad. Go talk to your, go talk to your manager about the culture and and see if you can, you know, help. And well, they're not going to do anything. Okay. Well, now you do have to make a decision. Is that something you're going to, you know, or stick up for yourself? Okay, mom, I stick, I stuck up for myself, but now it's worse. We've got a culture problem. And basically like middle school all over again, right? It's terrible. It's terrible. This is grown adults doing it because it's allowed because the culture says it's okay to behave that way. When you create a culture of positivity and you create a culture that's, that includes people and is inclusive and all of those things, that's, that's a place where people want to work. Those are the people who are knocking on wood saying, I am staffed. I am fully staffed and I love it. And, you know, these people stand behind me and are going to support me all the way to the end, (laughs) you know? So again, it's taking a good hard look at ourselves sometimes and saying, maybe where have I gone wrong, wrong as a leader? How can I improve Um, what's going on here that maybe I don't know of, or I don't want to open my eyes to, and then taking a good hard look. So I, I hear you a hundred percent on culture over money. I, I buy into that. I hear a lot that businesses, you know, uh, more more experienced generations aren't necessarily appreciative of how much things are costing right now and therefore how much wages need to change to match, you know, rents and inflation and gas and whatever else. Like, I mean, we could go on eggs, right? What is with eggs? Yeah. Anyway, do you feel like businesses are keeping up with the with the rates that they need to pay people? I think that they're trying, and I think that that's dangerous. Um, I think it's a two two edged sword here because I think you do have to provide a competitive wage because the cost of living um, and a competitive salary. But I also think that people will take some of the other things over that. So um, I have this conversation a lot: is that if you ask the employee. Hey, I, I know you've got a family, or I know you've got X, Y, Z. You play softball on Saturday, you know, Fridays. How about you go to a three-day work week or a four-day work week? How does that sound for you? That way, you can have Fridays off. You can do softball, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, we won't increase your wage this year, but we're going to offer you this. How does that sound? I bet if you find their currency, if you find um, in your employees what they really want, what will truly make them happy. I bet most of the time, some of that flexibility, changing things up a little bit is going to improve things. Hey, how about you go work from home two days a week, come in three? Would that help you? Would that would that ease the burden of some of that gas money that comes in? Oh, well, actually, yes, because I drive 20 miles to work every day and in traffic and it's hectic and that's two extra hours away from my uh, home, you know, or my animals or whatever it is, right? So everybody's got a different motivation. So I always say, again, 
ask the question and then listen. listen. Yeah, then listen, listen to the answer. You know, we do so many employee surveys, right? And then we never take anything and, and, and put any action behind it. And it kills me. An employee survey is not good if you're not going to, if you're, if you're just going to leave it on paper. Right. Look you're only at, looking for the answer that you want to hear, not the answer yeah. that needs to change. Look at so, it, listen, and put it into place. Where can people find you and your podcast and Concierge Elite online? Yeah, go to conciergeelite.com. Super simple, right? Melissa.b at conciergeelite.com as well, at the Concierge Elite as well. You can get my email. And then um, podcast is understaffed and it's really on all platforms. So you can hear us talk about similar stuff right here, the staffing industry, leadership, um, what it takes to be a good leader, all of those things in this day and age. So yes, absolutely. Perfect. So then I, I forgot to ask you in our pre-show because I never have another podcast host on. But <laughs> now it's time for my favorite little closing game with two truths and a lie. Uh, so you're going to give us three facts about yourself, one of which is not true, no particular order, and do not tell me the answer. Okay. So my two truths and a lie. I am a big hockey fan. I have seven children and I love animals. I like it. You didn't rat yourself out on any of those in this conversation. <laughs> Melissa, thank you so much for being here. What a great conversation. I feel like we could do an entirely separate episode just on the training piece yeah, of, of getting people up and running. I wrote down here in my questions training, and then we didn't talk about it. But so now you have to come back. But yeah. thank you so much. Honestly, the great conversation. Listeners, as always, thank you so much for sticking around. Uh, this has been the Shandyland podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>